Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, the latest episode of Learning in Public. Well, the latest when you've wa- when you've listened to Very this. smooth. It's a smooth. <laughs> oh, is it smooth? It's, it's a smooth one. Um, for all of you who used to watch the video version of this podcast, uh, this is an audio only. So sorry about that. But we're gonna animate. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're gonna, gonna do an anim- to go along with <laughs> We're gonna animate the entire episode. We're gonna actually get puppets and act it out with puppets. <laughs> But sadly, you can't see that we're at the lovely Potter's Cider tasting room uh, over in where? What part of Virginia? Is, are we I mean, we're Arrowhead. I, yeah, I think so. It's, it's Arrowhead, it's just south Virginia? of Charlottesville. Yeah, it's um, so beautiful. It here. is. It's a renovated church. Yeah, which is quite quite nice. It's and drop dead gorgeous. They, they sell very very dry ciders. I'm currently yeah. drinking a an unfiltered. Cider, which is it's very thick. <laughs> you know, I was reading because you know I, I've made my own beer before, and I was reading that like the first beer they would you know they got grains together and they just like leave it in a nasty pot for a long nice. time. So the original alcoholic beer was like a thick like pudding consist like gruel. Oh. It was like alcoholic gruel. Can Love you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine the first person? I've thought about this so many times, but like the first person to drink that, it, it was desperation. right? Yeah, it was like it was just. Man, I am gonna die unless I drink something. Yeah. I have this pot of nasty gruel. It tastes so bad. Or it was like the guy in elementary school who like would always just like put random shit in his mouth. Did you have a guy like this in elementary school? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh yeah. I think I would probably say there was a kid who used to eat his eyebrows. He'd eat his own eyebrows. What? How is that even possible? I mean, he would like pull them out and eat them. Oh, I see. It was highly disturbing. Yeah, but something like that, right? Like where, yeah. just like an adventurous, you could say, uh, eater or drinker. When you say adventurous, I say desperate. <laughs> there, yeah, there's no way. I mean, there's no way around it. Like you'd have to be a. I think it's the same with cheese, door. right? Oh my gosh, I never Somebody thought about that. Left too. their milk like out. They went on cheese. vacation and they left cheese just sitting in a bowl. And they, and they were like, came, I've they got also, I, mean, I guess they left milk, and they came back, and like, well, I don't know, this smells pretty cool. <laughs> this smells bad, but I'm gonna eat it. I, I think I think the old days were just terrible. I think it was just horrible all the time, and you just did whatever you could. Yeah, for real. And I actually think that probably cheese came from butter, right? Because mm. you leave butter hanging out for a long time, it and it gets get a, funky it gets and quite cheesy, funky, doesn't it? Yeah. And yeah. so I feel like that was the start of cheese. Was people just like leaving their butter out too long and it got like a little funky. People were like, I kind of like this funk. That would make sense. Let me control the funk. And then control, <laughs> you can't give us the funk. Give us the funk, can't, yeah. can't control the funk. Well, Grayson, uh, yes. what, what's been going on? What's Man, been I your, just want to talk about fermentation now. I know, I know. <laughs> what's been your little glimmer uh, this week? Oh, so I listened, and I think I may have told you about this before because I've listened to it before, but I listened to it again recently, which it's an, it's an opera called Trimanesha. Hmm. Did I tell you about Tremanisha? Well, you probably have, but I don't know. Are you remember. familiar with Scott Joplin? Yeah. Scott Joplin is uh, been called the king of ragtime. Yeah, composers. ragtime. Right? Yeah. Um, he's amazing. And he wrote he wrote two operas in his life also. The first of which was actually a ragtime opera, and I think that one was not very successful. And then he wrote an opera called Tremanisha. Hmm. Uh, and this was, I think, 1910 he wrote this. This is, this is quite a long time ago. Um, he was composing the late 1800s, early 1900s, mm. and yeah, he wrote this. And it's not really a ragtime opera. It definitely has like elements of. I mean, you know, he's Scott Joplin, so right. it's going to have those elements of his composition style in it. But it's really more based on like the popular music of his youth um, mm. from the late 1800s. But it's really great, and it has this really kind of fascinating story. It it seems way way more progressive than you think anything from 1910 would be because really? it's, it's about like you know a female black woman 
who is teaching her, she, she just believes in education. That's, she thinks it's the most important thing in the world. And she basically is fighting against people, um, these guys called conjurers, which are these people that are basically just spreading lies. Like misinformation. Misinformation and, and, like, and superstition is, is the biggest thing. Like spreading superstition, whereas Trimanisha, who's the hero of the story, believes in you know, education and truth. Wow. And yeah, it's really cool. And I, I think he based the character of Trimanisha off of his wife. Wow. Also, who is like really educated and smart, and she she was very um, you know like pro women's rights, mm. um, as, as well as like you know pro pro African American rights in the day. Wow. Yeah, it's quite cool. And uh, I think Trimanisha was also the name of his muse that would help him write. Mm. That's kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of like you know Martha, my dear, the Beatles song. Martha was the name of a dog that Paul McCartney knew, but I think it was also no the name way. of his muse. So the song is uh, kind of him talking to a dog, but kind of him talking to his muse, too. Anyway, Trimanisha is great. You should listen to it. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, kind of relevant to the thing I wanted to share, which I already talked to you about last week, but we weren't recording that conversation, but uh, this book no. that I'm reading, White Fragility. Yes. Um, in light of all the things happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and... Uh, the fight for justice and equality. I've been trying to educate myself more on the issues. Um, and yeah, this book's really good. I'd recommend it to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's directed literally to people like us, Grayson, like the white guys. White guys. <laughs> yeah, like, how can white guys be better humans? Like that's, young, that, that's the basis of dudes. the book. Yeah. <laughs> and it's written by a white dude, so it it's is. coming from experience. I think so. I've actually not confirmed whether or not it's written by a white dude. You told me it was by a white dude. <laughs> I think it is, but okay. there's two people listed as the author on the on the audiobook version, and so I'm mm. not sure if one of them is the narrator and one of them is the author, or if like... Oh, I see, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. But whoever wrote it, regardless... Yeah, I do want to give that, I knew, um, y'all might remember Faith, who was in our first episode, I know she's a, yes. big, a big fan of the The lovely book, Faith so. Suri. Yeah, who I'm actually, I'm gonna visit in Montana. You know, it'd be great, we, I, we record an episode when I'm in Montana. Oh my gosh, Faith Wouldn't can be, be me. Well, no, you. I, we could. We could tell. <laughs> could we telecommute to you somehow? That would be oh quite, yeah, we could definitely do be that. Quite, quite I thought cool. you meant the, the like. Well, no, faith I mean, would take my place. No one could ever take your place. Oh, Drew. thank you. Grace. <laughs> that's very sweet. But yeah, that'd be super fun. That, that, that's interesting. You know, uh, I know that you. You know, the book is all about educating yourself, and I feel like that's what a lot of people are focusing on now. Yeah, and but, what this but, podcast focuses on. Well, yeah, like, and what Trimanisha focused on. I know, know that's why I think it's so relevant. About, yeah. Well, and it's fascinating how relevant it is because. It's almost like she's fighting against fake news, mm. you know, and like, wow, that's crazy. I don't know. It's, it's I was, I'm reading the plot synopsis because, you know, it's an opera. So you kind of get the gist of what's going on a little bit, but it's but also it's an opera. It's so not it's like, like Hamilton where like you can really hear the words. and like... Right. Yeah, it's an opera. So there are a bunch of people singing in super high voices. Mm. Um, and the music, the music is like amazing. But the yeah, the story, it just seems way too relevant to be to have been written over 100 years ago. Wow. You know what I mean? Wow, it's which, over which I, 100 which years ago. Which I think ago. says a lot about how good the opera is, and it also says a lot about how bad we still currently are. <laughs> we how learned. little progress but, we've um, actually made. And I, I have, and I haven't confirmed this either, but the opera was largely forgotten until the 70s when it was it was revived. Because I, I don't think a full production was actually ever staged of it um, during Joplin's lifetime. Interesting. Um, but he was posthumously... I said that word good, I think. <laughs> uh, he was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for it um, in the 70s. Wow. After they staged it, because it was such like an amazing... That's really cool. Yeah. And I don't know if it was revived because of the movie The Sting, which you might be familiar with, which featured mm. a lot of his music, Yeah. Um, which kind of renewed interest in his music as oh, well. Oh, gotcha. Wow, cool. Scott Joplin. Good he's guy to look so into. He's so good. No, he's great. 
I mean, um, if you like ragtime, which I do. Because, I mean, I, you know... <laughs> it doesn't. It's fun. It's like it party is, music. It's, it's, it was the party music of the day, which yeah. is, is kind of great. But I, I mean, I, I feel it, man. And I, I grew up, you know, I, I had took piano lessons when I was a kid. And right. That was the stuff that I liked playing the most. Yeah. I didn't really care about classical music. That was the music. fun, like, It was. I, I mean, there was, like, a really simplified version of The Entertainer. It was in mm, one of my cool. really early piano books. That's I awesome. loved it. And it was because I grew up watching that movie, too. Like I was super inspired by it. Very cool. Well, awesome. Uh, Man, we should just talk about ragtime all, all day next week. That honestly. My, my topic. I and this seriously... is what we've been talking about, too, is like we're trying to figure out this format of the podcast that gives us a little bit more of this. A little bit more of this like razzle-dazzle like Give jazz. Give me all razzle-dazzle. Because <laughs> when we just start going on stuff, I feel like we get on really interesting, poignant we topics. We do. We and... I think we, the idea is you just want to lean more into the tangents, right? Yeah. Because I, I, I learn mo- more, I feel like, through our tangent conversations than our planned topics. Maybe our podcast could be called uh, Tan Princess X. <laughs> Isn't that tangent? The tangent of X. Is that trigonometry? We'd have to talk a lot more about map, I feel. Uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. But Grayson, you still do would have you a say topic we've, this week, right? Would you say we've approached the limit oh of, the, of the introduction? <laughs> the limit as it approaches... The, uh, the regular part of the podcast yes. has reached its, <laughs> its maximum. Uh, yeah, I do have a topic this week. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about my little topic in the first half, and then we're going to talk about something that you have planned for the second half. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, we don't have answers for our quiz, do you, from last week? What we'll, was the answer? We'll worry about that. It's, it's, it was the question about bumblebees that we actually asked, like, a, a, an entire <laughs> calendar month ago. <laughs> Uh, that we forgot to talk about last week and oh, that shit. we yeah. may have forgotten to talk about well, this defi- week also. Yeah, I'll, I'll look into that on my phone. <laughs> I'm sure During so, the break. Yeah, I'll I'm look sure. at that during the break. Oh, I want to address one thing before we start, too. I got a text from our friend Luther, mm. um, who is now listening to our podcast. Oh, Luther, thank and you Luther so much. And Luther only texted me you. to complain. No, I would say I miss him, but that <laughs> jerk uh, only texted me to complain about us screwing up the year that that movie, A Trip to the Moon, came out. Oh, when was it? I think I said it was in the 20s. Yeah, apparently it was in 1902, and he texted me. He's like, "Everyone knows Trip to the Moon came out in 1902, you idiots." Well, thanks, good. Luther. Thank you I to our thanks. listeners, including Luther, who keep us on point. Even keep us Luther. Learning. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to correct us, that's fine. But try to be nicer about what Luther is. <laughs> All right, Luther, Grayson. I do miss you. Okay. <laughs> so my topic this week, I really want to get into gear and talk about bicycles. Whoa! Awesome! So, uh, as you know, I recently bought a bicycle. Yeah. Um, which has just been an amazing addition to my life. Heck yeah. Um, it's so interesting. Like, I get home from work. And you're like, and I'm, I want to well, And I'm exhausted, right? Because yeah, I, I yeah. work outside all day, and I have a really sweet farmer's tan, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just so, so tired. And then I get on the bike, and it, it energizes It feels good. Me. It does, because it's just so, it's so little effort compared to the amount of work the bicycle does exactly Do you know what i mean yeah i put in just a little bit and you feel like bit. you're moving fast and yeah. like all that stuff yes you feel like you could go forever it's such a great you feeling. really do i mean it's amazing how i mean if i walk how fast does a person walk like two or three miles an hour probably that's pretty slow yeah that means it would take me an hour to walk three miles yeah on a bike you're going like 15 yeah 10 to 15 yeah which is it's just so amazing like there's there's a bike trail near my house and i it takes me an hour and a half to do it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like 14 miles. It's an hour and a half with stopping and looking at birds and everything. Yeah, it's just amazing. Starting to bike completely changed my frame of reference about like your how... bike frame of reference. Yes, my bike frame of <laughs> of like 
how long it takes to get places. Yeah. How how big like a mile is. Yeah. Because um, it feels so far when you're walking it. Right. And it's so fast when you're biking. It. Yeah. And then even like um, the idea of how much mobility I gain by being on the bike. Like how yeah. much you can carry with you, like That's all interesting this stuff. that you would say that because the um, something I was reading, and because this is more about the design of the bike, but something I was reading that when bike, the bike craze kind of hit in the late 1800s, like this was a really big thing for women because it gave them so much really? more mobility. Yeah. They could get out into the community more. They could have a little bit more choice with their fashion. You know, a big bulky dress ain't gonna work on a bike very, you know, very well. So they, you know, they had bloomers maybe. They had special skirts that were designed for the bike. So it, it was, it was, Interesting. it was a big thing. Yeah. Wow. Is that the time period Kiki's delivery service takes place in? I have no idea. I have no idea when that takes place. There's like zeppelins in that movie. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. That bike's really cool. The one that, that bike. Has, the, one, the one that has a propeller and it flies. Yeah, the one that flies. Tom, Tombo is such a nerd, but he has a really cool bike. Um, I have no idea when that movie takes place. That'd be something to look into. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of based on, it's like a German sort of yeah. town, right? Yeah. And I know bikes are really... Yeah. Well, hit, hit me with it. I'm going to hit bikes. you with it, baby. So first of all, this topic was um, suggested by one of my coworkers, Scott. Ooh. So thank you, Scott. Scott, Thanks, Scott bikes uh, seven miles to work every day and seven miles home. Wow. Um, which I, I did that trip because I was canoeing. Because So the road that leads to my job is right along the river. So I was actually able to shuttle myself on the bike the other day. So I got in a double exercise canoeing and biking adventure. Wow. Um, but even in those seven miles, I'm like, man, respect for this guy. Does this twice a day, every day. That's, that's, <laughs> that's wild. really awesome. So, yeah, thank you to Scott for, he's a listener of the show. Um, and also thank you to, oh, I'm going to mess his name. Is it Grant Peterson? It's totally Grant Peterson, right? I meant to write it down. I'm going to say his name's Grant Peterson, who is um, Grant, the, you're the, mom. the designer. Well, uh, yeah, he's not a listener, but he he's the designer <laughs> for Rivendell bikes, if you're familiar with them. No. They make very, very high-end bikes, named, of course, after Rivendell from That's Lord, so Lord cool. of the Rings. Um, but he had a, a video that was suggested to me by Scott also called The Big Bang Theory, dot, 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 of bicycles, um, which, which is on YouTube, which is a, a fascinating, a fascinating watch for... For the history of bicycles, kind of. It reminded me of, um, you haven't seen True Stories, have you? No. The Talking Heads movie, written no. and directed by David Byrne. Well, it starts out, and he's supposed to be introducing this, like, this small town in Texas, and he starts talking about, like, when dinosaurs walked the earth, and he, oh. he makes his way through prehistory until he gets to oh. modern-day Virgil, Texas. Um, and this guy does the same thing. He starts out, he's going to talk about the history of bicycles, and he starts with the Big Bang. <laughs> like, you know, without the Big Bang, there wouldn't be a universe, and there'd be no Earth, and bicycles wouldn't exist without Earth. True. So it's true. It's very obtuse. I really, really, I really enjoyed watching it. That's awesome. Um, so for me, I mean, I, I'm going to kind of skip the Big Bang and most of, most of that stuff until the year um, 1815. Cool. Do you know anything about special about the year 1815? Uh, we're still in the Civil War, right? In 1815, Drew? Oh, 15! <laughs> <laughs> So no, we're not in the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. I heard 1850, which is still probably That's not the no, Civil not War. right. You don't know anything. When about did the Civil War happen? It's like 1860 to 1865. Oh, all right. Is that I, right, I've, Sarah? 1860. I was around that time. Way right. to go, Drew. Sarah, our fact checker, is here. Is the, <laughs> yeah, hi Sarah. And hi, hi Kato. Yeah, um, uh, Sarah is playing Animal Crossing right now. I'm pretty uh, envious of that. In 1815. Yeah, and I had never. I think I had read about this a really long time ago, but I have not thought about it in a long time. Is this? 
This is a, a global event. Well, there was a it, war, right? This is right after the end of the War of 1812. It was three years after the War of 1812. <laughs> well, the War of 1812 wasn't just one year, was it? I have no idea how long it lasted. Um, that was the original British invasion before the, before the Beatles. <laughs> I remember in my textbook in high school, it said British invasion. It's like, I think yeah, that was like I the think, 60s. There was yeah. another chapter 18, later that was yeah, British invasion. about the Beatles. I have no idea what was happening okay, in 1815. Okay, so in, in April 10th, 1815, in Indonesia, okay, you're in Indonesia in 1815. Okay. Mount, Mount Tambora explodes. It's a volcano. And it's like a super volcano. And the this is 1815. This is not that far past. And yeah. the explosion is so great that soot and ash go into the atmosphere and cover the entire Earth. Whoa, really? Yeah, it, to the point where it blots out the sunlight and it, it's, uh, it's been called the year without a summer. The entire Earth? As far as I know, I mean, it was it was um, it affected uh, Europe anyway. Wow. Which is which is where we're going to focus on because that's where the history of the bicycle kind of starts. Cool. Yeah. So Indonesia, that volcano actually affected the entire the entire globe. Which is wow. Crazy. Okay. Um, so because of that, it was the year without a summer. You know, food is scarce now. Okay, there was not a very good growing season this mm. year, and so it's hard enough to feed people, and it's harder yet to feed animals, including horses, right? Which are mm. going to be a main mode of transportation. Interesting. And so this fellow named Baron von Drace, mm. he was a, a German man. Um, good he, quality. German yes. Well, fellow. he he was kind of a he was kind of a, a wild dude because he was not only a baron, he was a carriage maker, and he was a forest ranger. So he he did a few things in his life. I didn't realize they had forest oh rangers gosh. in 1850, and I thought that was like John Muir type times. Wow! But apparently, he's in, OG in Germany. He was the OG <laughs> ranger. Um, so he invented something that he called the Lauf machine. <laughs> and the Lauf machine, I think that actually walking machine. What'd you say? A Lauf machine, walking machine. Walking machine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was kind of like a bicycle. It had two wheels um, and a and a saddle, mm. but no pedals. So it's kind of like a Flintstones car. This thing was foot powered. Wow, it's so, the first scooter, basically. Right. So because he didn't have horses to help him get around on, you know, the trails in the forests and, and places like that, and because he was a carriage maker, he knew how to kind of make these things. Yeah, he just made this kind of a bicycle, but without any pedals, and he could wow. really get around on this thing. It's like the first ripstick, like kind of the first ripstick. Yeah. And in fact, it's it's funny. They, I mean, they still make these today. They're really? primarily for, for children or adults who are learning to ride a bike. Because really? think it's a good way to ride, learn how to ride a bike. You don't have any pedals. You're closer to the ground. Like you could, you could make it yourself. You lower the seat on your bicycle and take the pedals off. Oh, interesting. You got a laugh machine, baby, <laughs> and you can just push yourself around on it. And it's really good. So they're wow. called balance bikes today. Oh, um, cool. So yeah, kids can learn on them. They're they're pretty cool. This sucker was, um, it was entirely made of wood. It wow. weighed 48 pounds, which I think oh. is, I think that's pretty heavy for a bike. Yeah, that's quite heavy for a bike. <laughs> um, uh, so other people would call it uh, a hobby horse after like the child's toy, the hobby horse Aww. or the dandy horse because it was usually wealthy, foppish men <laughs> riding these things around. Um, they sort of fell out of popularity after people started having a lot of accidents on them. I bet. Yeah, people are just like, imagine people just running around on these things. Going downhill too fast. Yeah, because you don't have brakes. Your brakes are your feet. You yeah. Know? Um, and they were actually banned in a lot of cities because they were so dangerous. So after that, the mm -hmm. popularity sort of waned. You know what this actually reminded me of? What? Heelys. Heelys! Oh my gosh! Heelys were so big. I loved and my And then Heelys. after people started getting hurt on them, and then they were banned everywhere where you would want to ride Heelys. Yeah. You know, the mall. School. school. Like anywhere. Like 
I remember I like hiding the fact that you had the wheels in your Heelys was <laughs> such a big thing in middle school. Like finding the best ways to like walk. So, so you you had Heelys? Oh yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I never had Heelys. I, they, I, they, they were like that really bulky design that I didn't like with shoes. I've been wearing these Chuck Taylors since I was like in fifth grade. So nice. Um, yeah. yeah. Heelys but it, it's, it's, it's kind of similar, right? Yeah. History history doesn't change too much. Heelys um, are the new Lauf machine. They make adult I've, Heelys, Grayson. They're in my Amazon wish list. Are you serious? <laughs> That's so awesome that they still make those. They're very expensive. I remember they had some, and it was like before Heelys, and I remember it was, instead of just the one wheel and the heel, it was mm -hmm. actually, it was four wheels, and you actually yep. had to pull them out of the bottom of the shoes. Exactly. They looked really cool, but I don't think they were... They also had brakes. They had yeah. brakes, like they were. I mean, like they were roller like roller, blades. they were like convertible yeah. roller skates. Yeah, I was one of those, but never. it never happened. Mm. So this was still not really a bike because I didn't really have pedals or anything yet. So the, when we first start to get into modern-ish looking bikes is 1839. Mm. A guy named Kirkpatrick McMillan. He was Scottish, in nice. case you couldn't tell from the everything mm. about his name. He was a blacksmith. And so he said, okay, these laugh machines, or they're called dracines or velocipedes sometimes. Um, these are, you know, not very practical. So how can I make this... You know, so I don't have to actually just power it with my feet. I have like a mechanism, right? Mm. So he used um, treadles, which are the sort of things you would see on like a steam engine, a locomotive. Oh, interesting. So it's like those long bars yeah, you know, yeah. that cause the wheels to turn. And he, so you'd actually like rock your feet back and forth on these pedals. So not in a circle. You'd rock them back and forth and that would, that would make you go along. Like a, an elliptical. Yes, kind of like an elliptical. Oh, wow. A moving so, yeah, elliptical. Yeah, imagine like half bicycle, half sewing machine. And I was going to say half again, but that's three halves. Half, <laughs> half uh, steam engine. Wow, um, very cool. Yeah, it, it was really cool. And then it wasn't until 1863 that you started to see like a rotary crank on a bike. Mm. And at this point, you still don't have a chain. Right. There's no bike chain. So anything you're doing is directly into the wheel. Right. Um, which is why a lot of times, you know, in, in, so in this period, you'd have the front wheel start to get a little bit bigger. Because if you have a really small front wheel, it's, you're, it's not very efficient. You can yeah. turn this thing all day and you're going really, really slowly. Um, so yeah, 1863, you had the yeah, the front crakes on wheels. And then, are you familiar with the penny farthing? Yes, I the am! The penny farthing. So this was sort of the, the evolution That's of the that. That's the OG bike, I feel. I just told you what the OG bike was. It was the laugh machine. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I mean, the OG even, bike even, that we know today. Yeah, yeah, and it is. And it's it's become kind of a symbol for yeah. a lot of a lot of bicycling in general, I think, like in the history of it. But the thing is that they're horribly impractical, even for the day. <laughs> and this is something Grant Peterson was talking about. It's like, you know, even for the day, this is a horrible design. Because, <laughs> you know, so the idea was, okay, so, okay, these new bikes come out, right? And then immediately people want to race them. You know, you've, you've invented a new form of transportation. People want to race immediately. So, okay, we're going to make this big, big front wheel to the point where you, you can hardly get on the thing. You had to, like, run and jump. You had, you you? had to get started on it. You would, like, you, there was a little peg, I think, that you could kind of rest your foot on. Oh, and you, and you push? You push off and then jump up on it and, and start <laughs> pedaling away. Um, and then, uh, so on things like this where you have, there's not a, a drive chain, whenever you're pedaling, like, you, you, your right foot goes down, the bike goes left. Left oh, foot goes down, the bike goes gosh. right. So, it, it, you know, kind of like canoeing. Yeah. Um, and so you're just rocking back and forth this whole time. Kind of like a unicycle in a way. It is a lot. It's exactly like a unicycle, actually. It's like a unicycle with a back. Yes, uh, it's with, with essentially like a more like a stable. Like a training wheel. Like <laughs> Yes, a single training wheel on your unicycle. But um, it, this was interesting to me because you have tra you've tried to make something faster and you've traded both practicality and safety. These things were horribly, horribly unsafe. I mean, if you hit anything on this, and keep in mind, there's no inner tubes in these tires at this point. It's solid rubber. Mm. So anything you hit, it's being transmitted directly it into hits you. you. Yeah. A lot of these bikes, I think the bikes after that were called uh, bone shakers. Because <laughs> 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 they would just totally wreck your bones, man. Um, 
Oh yeah, so you know, anytime you would hit something, it was really common to just be completely thrown off of the penny farthing. And you're so high up in the air, you know, people would break their wrists coming off trying to trying wow. to grab themselves. People even died in wow. these days coming off of penny farthings. Um, oh, and of course, it's called penny farthing because of the size of the wheels. Yep. And the penny and the farthing, farthing. Were very different sized uh, coins. It wasn't until the 1880s that we get to the safety bicycle, which is when it really starts to look like the bicycle. The bike we know. You know, it's a safety bicycle because now the wheels can be small because we have a drive chain, right. um, which makes it efficient, and it's rear wheel power instead. And so the other ones, you would have the pedals directly on the right, front wheel. Right. Now you have your pedals that are attached by a chain to the rear wheel. Which um, is still how it is in most yeah, bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 these are very, very modern looking. That was uh, John Kemp Starley invented that. The, uh, the, mm. the Rover was like the first very successful uh, safety bicycle. Good name. John Kemp Stanley or the Rover? The Rover. The Rover, isn't that great? That's a good one. I, if you look at the designs of these things, they look really cool too. Like this era of safety bicycles, they, they look really neat. Um, 1888, you get inner tubes, which is a huge wow, game, changer. game changer. You're not, your bones aren't breaking every time you get on and your bike. Now, tell me about, like, I don't know if you did this in the research, but like the, I'm gonna wait for this plane to leave. I don't think it's a plane, I think it's a motorcycle. Oh, okay. Um, tell me about like the connection between the automobile and the bicycle. Oh. Like where are we in the development of the automobile? I'm gonna be honest, I don't know when the automobile was. I, we're gonna I, get to that in a second. Oh, okay, great. Because there is kind of a connection between between I can imagine the evolving like, evolving designs. Um, first though, 1889, the folding bicycle was invented. The folding bike was invented in 1889. Yeah, wow. um, it was actually an, uh, an African American inventor named Isaac R. Johnson. Wow. Um, and it, the frame that he designed is still the one they use today. It's it's almost identical. Really. 1889, the design has changed very little, which is kind of amazing. I hope he had a patent on that. You know, I don't know if he did. I know John Kemp Starley with the Rover did not patent his. Really? Well, sometimes in these days, people, I know like um, Jonas Salk, who uh, invented like one of the first vaccines, or maybe mm. the very first vaccine, he didn't patent it because he just said, this is something everybody should have. I don't need to make money off I this. I love that. So I think that was more of a culture thing back then than it is now. I wish that was a cultural thing today. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Yeah. And people just want to make money now. Open source, baby. Open yeah, I source. mean, there was an open source vaccine. Yeah, that that's cool? really cool. So and this is an open open source bicycle. That's awesome. <laughs> the rover. And this really blew my mind, and I couldn't find any more information on it, except that Wikipedia told me that in 1897, the first electric bicycle came no, about. No, no. It can't be right, right? That that would be insane. It's possible, though. People had electric stuff back then. Yeah. James Verne was writing about electric submarines. Tesla had and electric invented rifles. the electric motor. Is like, yeah. Yeah. Nikola it's, Tesla it's possible. at the same time. So that would be pretty cool. That would be so. pretty freaking cool. Um... So yeah, in the, so in, in the, coming, the coming years is when you start to see bicycles kind of fall out of popularity because you have the invention of motorcycles and cars, ah. which are, you know, I mean, they're way easier. Yep. They look cooler a lot of the time. <laughs> and you start you to go see, faster. Yeah, and you start to see an association bicycles with children and not with adults. Interesting. So it becomes very, very unfashionable for adults to be on bicycles. And I was <laughs> which actually, I feel like it still is. I disagree. <laughs> I, I, th I think it's actually very fashionable to be like the hip guy yeah, I guess riding into true. work on in your bike. In some circles, I yes, say. Yes, in some like, circles. In other circles, like, what is that guy doing? Get yeah. real. Like, if you're in Get a city or if you're something like that, I feel like... Okay, dude with a messenger guy. bag. Yeah, exactly. Dude with a messenger bag, like some boot cut, like, <laughs> like pants. Well, you gotta, like, you gotta roll up just the right exactly, side. Exactly, roll up just the right side. Yeah, like yeah. Jim Halpert. Like, in that know, one episode where in he... In that one episode yeah. where he rides a bike. Yeah, yeah, that look. Um, yeah, it, it, but even as early as that, you started to see you started to see bicycles associated with children. Mm. Um, 
And it wasn't in World War II. You started to see adults start to ride bikes once more because uh, because uh, everything's being shipped away. Exa exactly. We it's it, the war's on. You know, we gotta mm. we gotta ration our resources. Ration our resources and factories. They're making bicycles. Are now gonna make tanks or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, the, not as many bikes are around, but it becomes more accessible for adults to ride bikes because you're kind of hey, you're doing you're supporting your troops. Yeah. I'm not using gasoline. I'm riding my bike. Right. Okay. Um, so bikes started, after that, bikes started to be associated with hard times like World War II mm. and with children. So nobody wants to be on a bike again, kind of after World War II. It's just really, really unfashionable. Mm. And you actually You're start either to poor see, or a child it, or a poor child. Right. And you see, <laughs> um, so you know, like tassels that you'll see on like the handlebars yeah, yeah, yeah. of a bike? That actually comes from wanting it to look like a motorcycle. Because it's like, this is the exhaust. That's the exhaust of my bike. Like the look kids how that, cool this is. that would put folding car or playing cards yeah, in there. Exactly. <laughs> right. It, gives, it sounds like a motor. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Like the first motorcycles were clearly. Inspired by bikes. bikes it's just a bike that you add a motor on. onto. But then after that, you started to see bikes being modeled after motorcycles. Interesting. It's kind of related to the thing I talked about last week with Kurosawa. Yeah. In, influenced by Western filmmakers. And then, and then he influenced Western Yeah, it's Western very films. similar to that. Um, the power of collaboration. It wasn't until <laughs> 1970, April of 1970. Do you know what's special That's about very that? very soon. That was like a big jump in time. Yeah, well, I'm sure some other stuff happened between that. But. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been talking for 30 minutes, so I want to get, oh, I wanna get on good, with it. Oh, that's good. Get uh, on with it. April 1970. Anything special about that? Uh, April of 1970. Uh, it's the first Earth Day. Oh, wow. Yeah, the very, very first Earth Day. Which So we just had the 50th anniversary. So everyone wants to ride their bike. Yes. And it becomes not only, it becomes a, a symbol of environmentalism. I'm not ah. wasting gas. I'm on my bike. And that's when it's, you start the to see... The resurgence now mm -hmm, of the bike. The resurgence of the bike and, and, and it being cool for adults to ride bikes. Because it was always okay for kids to ride bikes because this is the thing that you ride before you're allowed to drive a drive. car or a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. You can have a bike. But now you start to see, well, healthy adults who care about the environment like nice. to ride bikes again. It was a rebranding. It's a rebranding of the bike, yeah. And so I think that's, you know, that's kind of where you start to see. And we're a product of that culture, I feel like. We are. I, I, feel like, I like to ride my bike specifically because of well, those Well, you used reasons. to until your wheel was stolen. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, if anyone wants to donate to donate the cause, a wheel. you can go to anchor.com. Forward slash donate. Yeah, anchor.fm slash learn in public. You can click the support button. Uh, any any amount counts. Uh, <laughs> we'll count toward uh, Drew and I being able to ride our bikes together. Together. Currently, yeah. he has a, we'll do a whole essentially episode. a unicycle. Yeah, we'll do a whole episode on the bikes. That would be great. That'd be really cool. I would cool. actually really really love that. I don't know how practical that would be. It'd be, it'd be fun. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I mean, that's starting, awesome. nowadays you see electrical bikes and, and cool stuff happening. So now, like had that. you ridden a bike at, a lot like growing I up? I used or? to when I was a kid. Yeah. Okay. It was, and it was so this was just get, you getting back into it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm, I've kind of gone through the same history as the bike has. You mm. know, I was a kid and it was okay, and then I got to be older and I was like, well, it's not cool to be on a bike anymore. Right. And then I realized, and cool. no, I kind of want to be on a bike. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's my little short history of the bicycle there. That's awesome. I don't know if there's anything else I wanted to say. Probably not. That's well, probably Grayson, that was fantastic. I learned a lot there. Do you have any other Specifically questions? Specifically, that the, the Civil War did not take place <laughs> in 1850. Oh, man. We, we really need to get up on our history a little better. That's right. Well, I'm actually. The next book I'm reading after White Fragility is called um, 1776. Have you heard of this book? I've heard of the musical. <laughs> well, the 1776 is a historical, I guess, is anthology the right word? Is that like what you call a big giant book about the Revolutionary War? Probably. Yeah, pro I don't know. I'm trying to use big words, trying to make it seem like I'm smart. <laughs> That's all we want is people to think we're smart. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's... 
apparently this really great uh, way of looking at the Revolutionary War, not in terms of the lens of, wow, look at how awesome America is, but in just the objective. But America is awesome, Drew. That's true. You're uh, not going to take that away from me. We can make America awesome. Yeah. That's what we strive to do. Yeah. Um, make but, America think harder. Yeah, That's right. Uh, but yeah, it's a... From the perspective of just like another country going through a revolution, and like mm -hmm. what caused that, what like inciting events um, led to this, not, and again, not with the lens of like that the Amer American Revolution was good. Do you mean that it's very, it's like a little more objective? Yeah, it's a little separated from yeah. inside of United it, States. Yeah, it's yeah. like reading about um, the. It'd what, be like the way that we would read about the French Revolution, maybe. Yeah, or, or even the um, the green, the was it the Green Revolution in. Uh, is that Iran or Iraq? I have no way of knowing. We'll cut this because I'm. <laughs> We're not, showing our ignorance. <laughs> We're showing our ignorance, but uh, yeah, apparently it's super good, and I definitely there are a lot of things that uh, I did not, I guess, really capture from history class, and now going through college without having to take a single history course. Yeah, um, I'm kind of missing that, you know, and I want to yeah. refresh a little bit. Uh, yeah, honestly, this entire week has. Um, with Have you found it very gone, educational? Yeah, I found it very educational, and also that Sarah was saying, like, I probably, because we've had a lot of conversations recently about um, the, like, just racial injustice and history and all these things, and um, uh, Sarah and I were talking about how I probably would have benefited greatly from a liberal arts education. <laughs> Well, supposedly you went to a liberal arts college. But so I was I. in the engineering school. And I was in the... What was I even in? <laughs> Arts and crafts. Arts and crafts, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now I really wish if I was going to do it over again, I definitely would have done... Uh, the, or, or at least expanded your horizons a little more. Yeah, well, it really wasn't in the cards being in the engineering school because it's kind of laid out for you all the classes oh, yeah. you have to take. But well, which I think is kind of a... A failing. Of, it's a failing of the education It really there, is. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of people come out of that program not knowing how to write or think or do anything. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> I took liberal arts classes with people who didn't know how to write or think. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I thought, I, I mean, I'm supposedly go, went to a pretty good university. Yeah. And I remember I took a class called Anthropology of Religion. And we would, like, trade papers after we write a paper. And we'd oh, yeah, yeah. Overlook, you know, look over somebody else's paper for them and, and give notes. And it's like, goodness gracious. Like, what... Punctuation. What, what are you doing? <laughs> and yeah, I know, I know, I can be kind of a stickler for grammar and stuff, but yeah, I think that I think we're getting failed in a lot of ways when it comes to like writing and thinking, mm. which is kind from, of from all angles, not just college. I think before it starts before that, which is also kind of what I want to talk about after the break. Well, everyone, like every episode of this podcast, uh, we are sponsored today by Lumastic.com. Um, also, uh, just a little note about brewmastic.com. <laughs> I did look into, people asked uh, whether or not <laughs> we really? were going to buy the domain. And I did look into it, and it was $15. That's, just that's like, probably oh. a little too much for brewmastic.biz. <laughs> yeah, that's a little too much for brewmastic.biz. If this starts to be a, a reoccurring um, uh, inside joke within the learning in public <laughs> uh, community, uh, we'll definitely look into making that purchase. Well, you know, dear listeners, if any of you want to buy uh, Brewastic, I'd, yeah, say, exactly. I'd say go Throw for up a little it. website. Just, you know, yeah. make sure to give me royalties for that. It's my Yeah, invention. just link, give us in your little bio or uh, like in your little sponsors section. Just, yes. say, just give us a little shout out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if it's $15 if you want to start a broom business or make a joke <laughs> about learning in public. Um, and if you do that, please send it to us. Yeah. But uh, today, tell me Grayson, more about Lumastic, Drew. Yep. Like like every episode, I don't mean to beat the dead horse, but 
you know, the company I run, Lumastic, uh, we're trying to build a community for creators and entrepreneurs to be able to connect, create and collaborate together so that we can all go further and farther and faster uh, with the power of community. Um, so over there, you can uh, join uh, a group of people who are also trying to make stuff in the world, uh, go into the unknown, uh, make something new. Uh, whether, again, you're starting a business, you're trying to write a book, start make an EP, you're um, uh, a teacher or somebody who wants to uh, collaborate better with their students. Anyone who has work that needs to be done. Yeah. And the Maxwell's going to make that work easier to exactly. do. Exactly. And work that needs to be done that could you could benefit from having other people to talk about that work with. Because I know, I know, Grayson knows, um, anybody who's had this experience knows that uh, doing something new is e extremely lonely. Um, and the thing yeah. that always makes you feel better about doing it uh, is having people to talk to. Um, and that's what we're really, really trying to build over at Collaboration. Lumastic. Yeah, I've been having some great conversations with um, people like probably yourselves, like entrepreneurs, um, people that are uh, working on projects, just like doing little one-on-one, -on -one, uh, like little meetings with them to try to help them in some way and to on them, onboard them onto the platform. So if that... Uh, if you think you fall into that category, please email me at drew at lumastic.com. We can get you all set up. I'd love to hear what you're working on. And uh, if you're trying to launch something or whatever, we'd love to do shout outs uh, in this podcast to all 22 of our listeners. So. <laughs> I'm surely more this week. I know half of those people. Well, first of all, half of them are me. <laughs> And then the other half are people I work with, I think, because everybody, when they're bored at work, they put on, they put on our podcast. Really? Yeah. That's very cute. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, let's jump back into the so, show. This brings us to our second sponsor, which is, of course, Shroomastic. <laughs> we make the mushrooms. Um, we do have a new mushroom business that Drew and I have started. We're going out into the woods. We're looking for the shrooms. We're going to bring them back to you and sell them at a low, low price. Um, every week, I'm going out there. I'm, I'm bringing a backpack full of mushrooms back to the village. Uh, to sell on my horse or whatever I'm doing. Oh so, my god! Uh, if you'd like to, you can um, email me at shroomastic.shroomastic. <laughs> um, I'll send you. A, I'll send you a mushroom in the mail. And yeah, I think that's uh, uh, shroomastic.biz. Maybe that one's cheaper. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah that. we'll check that one too. <laughs> oh, look at the. Oh, what you guys a, can't see, dear listeners, is that the little. Little puppos, uh, my dog Kato. I mean, Kato is currently looking at a large version of himself. Yeah, exactly. He's looking at a big old black lab. Uh, like, it's his father. It's very, it's very adorable <laughs> and cute. This is one of the reasons I wish I would have brought the camera, but we're making it easier for me to edit. That's so right. I can get because everything I want to get done. I'm not going to do done. it because I don't know how technology works. <laughs> so, Drew, what does our second half of the show look like? Well, Grayson, I wanted to talk... Um, I don't have a topic this week per se. I, I liked a lot the last, uh, in the last episode we did, the last about 10 minutes where we talked about like things we were working on and experiencing yeah. and going through. And I felt like we talked about Harry Potter for a very, very long we, time. <laughs> we did. And I had no idea that J.K. Rowling was uh, then being um, basically, uh, she had opened up about her. Have you heard about this? The, her, Absolutely not. Okay, so she came out uh, kind of anti trans. Um, oh yeah, like oh, and not even whoops. like in the past where she came, she was kind <laughs> all Kato's being, um, not even like in the past where she was like it could have been seen either way. It's like she was openly kind of anti uh, trans people, which is super sad, um, and that's why you don't meet your heroes, people. This is coming like, from <laughs> the person who said that you know, yeah, wants to act like she's so progressive. Exactly. Yeah, and so that's disappointing. Yeah, and that's why it's. Oh, 
I think the big takeaway from that one is just that uh, even if you feel you're progressive, right, even if you think that you have the right mentalities in mind, you probably still have a lot of bias and uh, yeah, things so going on. Yeah, so give her a break, folks, maybe. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, I literally don't even know what you're talking about. I, I, I was more this. talking about it from the, the standpoint of it's our duty to reflect on our own beliefs and maybe biases and uh, confront you know, those. someone who wrote a book, like seven books about like the, a magical world where anything is possible sure does want to put a lot of limits on what is and is not possible. Yeah, what is allowed and what is not yeah. allowed. Yep. So, uh... Yeah, just wanted to shout out that a little bit there, but um, then go into Grace. So we're the... sorry, we're never going to talk about Harry Potter. It <laughs> sucks. I hate Harry Potter now. <laughs> I'm still making that video though about what we can learn from her as a creative human. <laughs> oh, is that why, you, did, as why you didn't put the video yeah. out? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So I have to go back and address that. Um, but yeah, Grace, I wanted to talk a little bit this week. I've been thinking a lot about um, uh, this idea of you have a lot of things. That you want to be doing, um, and how do you actually? I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you actually get from uh, thinking like through wanting to do things and actually making things happen? The mm. thing for me, uh, the the reason this got sparked is like this podcast, my YouTube channel, and working on uh, developing the new features for Lumastic. I feel really stretched. I feel like I'm stretching myself very thin in a creative way, and I feel like a lack of focus uh, and kind of like that I'm doing anything well. Does this mm. make sense? Oh, you mean sort of like Bilbo Baggins. You feel as though your butter spread over too much bread. Exactly. And so that breeds into my like imposter syndrome a little bit where I feel like nothing I do is actually that good. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I know that's not true and that's like my, my own bias against myself. It's like the Ira Glass's skill and taste thing. It's like... Oh, you told me about this. Yeah, my taste is very high and my skill is never going to meet that. And so I just have to accept it. Ira Glass, he's the one from that M. Night Shyamalan movie, right? <laughs> no, he's the NPR guy. I know. I, know. I just wanted oh, to make sure everyone at home <laughs> knew that we knew that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I wondered what, how you feel about these concepts as and like an aspiring author and also a person that works in ecology and... Um, feels That's like kind of like what yeah like there it, there's a struggle there right between like what you want to be doing and what you feel like you're able to accomplish. I don't know. Do you know what causes imposter syndrome? I mean, you, you I, brought it up. I don't know. I don't really know what causes it. I have no idea. What if, for any of you listening uh, that don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's um, the idea that you attribute your successes uh, to someone not you or something mm, not you. Mm -hmm. so, so it's, luck. it's sort of yeah, like a fluke. It's yeah, a it's fluke. a fluke, yeah. complete fluke. Um, and so you never actually feel a satisfaction with the work that you've done because you feel like it wasn't actually because of your skill or mm -hmm. any, anything that was under your control. You feel like it was completely attributed and to... And there's an opposite of imposter syndrome, right? Where you attribute things that, that are luck to your own skill. Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, I don't remember what... It, narcissism is like in the name. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's the, that's the opposite. It's like things that... Uh, definitely were not in your control you think of as it was I, you. I've, I've heard there's there's an inherent bias that like most humans have which is when something goes wrong 
it was because of somebody else. Yeah. And when something goes right, it's because of something you did. Yeah, exactly. It's something that everybody experiences one time or another. Yeah, especially like in that's our, how, like... That's how I feel when I'm playing video games. <laughs> you know? If I screw something up, it's, oh, well, the, the computer glitched out or... Right, yeah, right, exactly. Happened. I remember, like, I lagged. like Bobby lagged. Fischer, the chess player, whenever he would play poorly, he was, well, the lighting was really bad in here, and the guy, <laughs> the guy I was playing with had a really annoying shirt on, and, and so I couldn't concentrate. Yeah, <laughs> you always blame it on something else. Um, but it's kind of interesting, imposter syndrome is sort of like a flipped, a flipped version of that. Where yeah, your own and it's about balance, right? It's like, a lot of things can be attributed to luck. Like, mm -hmm. the circumstances that I got to grow up in that led me to be able to become an entrepreneur, be full-time on my venture after graduating college, like, a lot of this was luck. Like the fact that I yeah. didn't have to pay for school. Yeah, like you could have been born as a pair of scissors. Or yeah, <laughs> or a bird. Or a bird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or a black person in America to get. Oh sure. Back to. Read white. Read white. White fragility, people. Um, <laughs> you said white fertility. Uh, oh, sorry, that's fragility. Not the name uh, <laughs> I've been drinking, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, see, you finished your drink already. These are strong ciders. I know, uh, but yeah. So, Grayson, what, what has been your experience with? Like I think imposter I sort syndrome. Of just felt, I think it was it must have been sort of when I got to college, I think you sort of start to feel that. Because mm. I think and you and I kinda of talked about this last week where I don't know, the public school system, I would not I I wouldn't say it exactly challenged me growing up. Grayson was too smart. Well, and it didn't school. it didn't take a lot, you know, yeah. for for where I went to school for the most part. I could pretty much you know, write down some homework that I did. Like I do my homework like in five minutes on the on the way to school. The or, bus ride. Yeah, do it, do it, and in, in during the class right before it's due. Yeah. And you know, never study for anything. And, okay. It's it easy. came it's easily fun. to you. And so in those days, like man, I'm just so darn smart. Look at me, I'm so <laughs> great. And then, you know, when you get to college and you're surrounded by, or any situation when you're surrounded by other people who are competent. Yeah, you sort of feel that you are not competent. I think, I don't know. Maybe it's related to the sort of thing that you feel when you're looking at social media, where you're looking at other people's highlights. Mm. You're looking at a highlight reel of all of your friends, and you think, "Wow, their lives are so much better than mine." Because you're not seeing the parts where their internet went out and they waited 45 minutes to <laughs> whatever look at their email, and you know, and you didn't see the part where like, well, the electricity went out, so their milk spoiled in the refrigerator. Like they don't put that on. Right. Media. Or they're feeling super depressed because they're they're not at a place that they want to be in life. And yeah, so, and that's a more yeah. realistic example than what I was talking about. <laughs> but I mean, I think maybe it's kind of related to that because you don't typically see other people's failures or insecurities. Right. You see their successes. Right. And uh, I don't know. Do you think that's related? I think that's definitely related. I think that's why you're seeing a lot. I feel like we're seeing a lot more. At least people talking about the feeling of imposter syndrome nowadays. Yeah. Is that, I'm sure it's one. It's always been a thing, but it's only. Yeah, it's like people are realizing that this is a real thing that they experience. Um, and realizing that other people also experience, experience it, and it's not, it's not weird. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Kato is digging a hole into the I also feel that um, like going into a job after college, because mm. I felt like finally at the end of school, I was like, okay, well, that was hard, but uh, I think maybe now I'm ready to do something. And when right. you start working somewhere, everybody there... I don't know, they're already in the swing of things for the yeah. most part. You'll meet people who are really, really competent yeah. in their field, and you feel like you don't know anything. And that's yeah. been my experience applying for jobs and stuff, too, like right after college. felt like I just, I, 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 were, I, I must have gotten you're through. You're inadequate. Yeah, I must have gotten through college on luck because I'm an idiot. I don't know anything, and right. there's no way I can get employed anywhere. Right, and I feel like that's also a big thing that uh, 
maybe people coming out of college experience, but just generally people experience a lot is you don't see, it's the idea that like we, we love the stories of overnight success. You're Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, 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 but overnight success doesn't exist. Like the Olympian that you never heard of, Michael Phelps, right? You never heard of him before the, like the 2008 or whatever mm -hmm. it was Olympics. Um, but it seemed like he came out there like as a 24 or whatever, 26 year old right. guy. Right, it looked like and, he just started and look and how amazing he, he And is. look, he won like, nine no, gold medals he's, or whatever. He's been probably swimming since he was a baby. Yeah, like, you know? like eight he years old or whatever. Born in water, he's, yeah. half, he's half water monster. Yeah, you didn't see all the work that went in and all, all the- You didn't see all the surgeries he had to have to make his feet web yeah. finally. So that you didn't see all better. the meats he lost. You didn't see everything yeah. that led up to that moment. You missed 100% of the meats that you don't take. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and I think that attributes to this kind of culture of imposter syndrome, too. It's like, mm -hmm. if you're not doing well all the time... It, it's almost like the, the connectivity that we have kind of influ... It, it, it sort of it compounds. Yeah, it and makes, the way it, it we, we tell worse. stories yeah. uh, is like, because I feel you, like yeah, really... You don't, you, the story of somebody working really, really hard at something for a long time and finally getting good at it is not very exciting. It's not exciting. It's more... I don't know, maybe... Do you think it's kind of like... Uh, Ray Star Wars versus Luke Star Wars. Those are their last names oh. in the movie. <laughs> you know how like you feel like Luke has to work really, really hard. Yeah, and he's, he's a doofus he, like the whole time. He's a doofus for the first two movies. Yeah, and Darth Vader kicks his butt at the yeah. end of Empire, and it's only you know in in Return of the Jedi where he's actually a competent Jedi. Yeah, and, and whereas even it feels then, like Ray is just sort of good when she starts out. Right, and even then between movies two and three of Star Wars. He trained a lot. Yeah, you didn't see all that training. You take didn't place. see all the boring um, training. You only saw him then when he's like yeah. a fucking badass. Like, yeah. and I, yeah, and I think that's that's just like the culture we're in now. Is we think of people as like you either have it or you don't. Mm, and so mm -hmm. if things aren't going well for you ever, you feel like you don't have it. And so then when something good happens, you're like, oh, yeah. that wasn't me. Because I'm not that person. Yeah. Like I'm not the person that does well. It's almost like a like a kind of confirmation bias. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's which in confirmation bias is that sort of you you only accept um, evidence that supports what you already believe. Right. So I'm not going to accept evidence that says that I am competent. Right. Because I already think that I'm not. Right. So I'm going to assume that it was just a fluke. Right. Yeah. So how do you think we work on combating this? Because obviously I have ideas. Because the entire social platform I'm building. I'm glad you already have ideas. I would think. I would think. <laughs> actually openly communicating with other people who are doing similar things that you are yeah would probably really really help and i mean like good communication because i feel like if you have really surface level communication they're going to talk about how great they are right. like when i go to like i went to an environmental educators conference this year and that's what i do i do environmental education for the most part and oh goodness i'm gonna break all your stuff it's okay <laughs> it's still working yeah it's good. um <laughs> went to an environmental educators conference and it seemed like everybody there just wanted to talk about how great everything they were doing was mm which I've really just found annoying. I, rather than like, <laughs> we're here to learn. And right, like, rather than being, we're here to learn and we're here to talk to each other about how we can all be better, it's more about, I'm gonna tell everybody how great and perfect whatever I'm doing is. Yeah, but just so, inv like, it's just not valuable to the it's discussion. It's not, but I'm saying like, have, if you have a, like a really good conversation, like for instance, that, that day when um, you and me and, you know, Sarah, I think Keith and Chelsea, and we yeah. just talked about ideas for like, yeah. my little story. We brainstormed your book a little. Like, I found that, that very enlightening, and that sort of made me feel like, oh, my ideas are pretty good, actually. <laughs> because when, when I think about it in my head, they seem good, and then when I try to put them to paper or talk about them, I feel like an idiot. Right. But because I surrounded myself with friends who actually care about me, yeah, sort of like, we could talk about it, and it felt 
good. And in like a productive way that's not like, even if we weren't yeah. going to agree with something, like an idea. Right, you're not just there to pat me on the back, but you're there to talk about it yeah, in a productive yeah. way. It's like the idea of your critics are the ones that still believe in you, right? The, mm. Your critics are the people that, are, that still yeah. think that like, you have potential yeah. to get better. Do you it, remember, um, did you see Midnight in Paris? No. I probably sh shouldn't say anything about this because I guess it's a Woody Allen movie and we hate Woody Allen now because he's a pervert. But um, <laughs> in the in the, So Ernest Hemingway is a character in the movie. Oh, really? Yeah, it's about Owen Wilson's character like goes, goes back in time mm. every night to hang out with Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald and all those dudes. Interesting. Um, but he gives Ernest Hemingway his book to read it, to give him notes on it. <laughs> and Ernest Hemingway's like, I hate it. He's like, you didn't even read it yet. No, I already know I hate it because um, if it's bad, I'm a good writer and I know that it's bad and I'm going to hate it. And if it's good, I'm going to be jealous of it and I'm going to hate it even more. That's funny. Yeah. I don't know how productive that is in terms of like how you should have conversations with your no, friends. No, it's not. But, but I think that's a good example of that idea of um, the, the people that are quote unquote haters. Mm -hmm. There are some people that are actual haters that like actually don't want you to succeed. But the people yeah. that do want you to succeed and the way they're showing it is by telling you how they think you can get better. Mm -hmm. Those are the people you want to listen to. Yeah, not not just people who are even just gonna say, "Yeah, it was good." Right. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. It's not. That, that's You're not, not any more helpful than saying it's bad. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's not. It, it's not framed around the how do I get better, because yeah. like it's bad and it's good. None of that is constructive. It no. builds it back up. It's it's not actionable. Yeah. Okay, it's bad. How do I make it better? I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not to make this another plug for Lumastic, but this is one of the core reasons we're trying to build this community is so that people have a social media where they get to connect with people based on progress and not perfection, where you feel that like, oh, hey, I like that. Did you come up with that? Or I, that we did, yeah. Progress, not perfection? Yeah, because that's, that's what social media is right now. It's right. It's, it's perfection. It's sharing what's perfect. Yeah. And like, even, at, even if you think about YouTube, like people share the video after it's made. They didn't mm -hmm. share the entire experience of editing and like yeah. going through post production. And again, and, because that would be dull. It seems you dull. You want to watch yeah. the just overnight, immediately perfect. Yeah, exactly. And so we want to be the social media site where you're actually sharing the progress it's along the way. It's about the progress. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, Grace, and I appreciate it. That's a cool. Hey, Drew, that's a cool idea for a website, dude. <laughs> you should make that. You know what I'm going to say about your website? It's good. That's the only thing I'm going to say about it. I'm not going to give you any constructive criticism. Yeah, and I think. The, it came to a head for me this week because uh, we've been working on this big relaunch for a long time now. Yeah, it seems like you've been talking about it for about four calendar months. Yeah, exactly. And well, we've been working on it for a really long time, but I think in my head, I made it out to be the fact that like, it needs to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Like it needs to fix like every problem and needs to be like to a T and like all these things. When in reality, what we should be doing is like, we definitely needed to make a lot of changes, but we should have like made those changes in the easiest way possible and thrown it back out there to the people. Mm -hmm. Because the people are who we want to help. Yeah. And so they're not going to give a shit whether or not like our like landing page looks like the color scheme looks like exactly perfect or I all this. <laughs> and that's good. Uh, right? Like it's good to have people that do care about making it better, but the 80% of the like actual feature is like uh, doable, it could have been doable mm -hmm. within a month, mm -hmm. but it's, it was think, already workable. Yeah, I think yeah. we were so not even. I'm not gonna bring Keith into it. I was so focused on Keith being perfect. Keith was so focused. Keith ruined it. <laughs> now Keith, 
uh, I feel like I need to listen, uh, communicate more with Keith about uh, these like higher level things that go on in my brain because I think it gets in my way. It's again, it's like the, I've kept the idea so far up here and I feel like an idiot. And like I was saying, yeah. open communication with people who, who want believe. to see you succeed yeah, exactly. is gonna be the most helpful And Keith helpful has thing. a big vested interest, not only as my friend, but he's also the co-founder of the company. <laughs> so do you think that's, that's the key to imposter syndrome? I don't know if it's the key. I feel like that's one of the reasons it manifests in me. Hmm. Like, um, and I think you, you've said that you kind of resonate with that too. Yeah. Um, I know, uh, not to speak for her, but Sarah has dealt with this for a long time. Uh, our friend Faith is starting to deal with this too, who we've mentioned on and the show. And these are all people that I think are smarter than me. Exactly. So, and that makes me feel a little better. <laughs> <laughs> Even the people who are smarter than me also think that they're frauds. Yeah, and know? that's what I really uh, want my YouTube channel to kind of be too, is showing off the learnings from people who you usually only think of as overnight successes. Yeah. But they had so much going on behind the scenes that you can steal. Like you can adopt into your own life. Like a life Leah Michelle. <laughs> maybe not Leah Michelle. She's also kind of a contested individual right now. Is she? Yeah. I can't talk about anyone. Everyone's horrible. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I think that, and that's what I kind of want to get across. I'm going to stop mentioning anyone's names. <laughs> I mean, I brought up Woody, Woody Allen. Allen. <laughs> I brought Woody Allen up in this episode. This is really bad. Yeah. And I think I want to get that across in the videos too. Is like, what we're taking away is the good. It's like your parents. Your parents have strengths and weaknesses. Like... And you learn those over time. And what you want to do is uh, learn as much of the best things from your parents as possible and try to reject as much of the, don't inherit the less ideal qualities that they would say they have or something like that. It's artificial selection. Yes, it's, you want to do artificial selection. I think that's what you want to do with your, your heroes, quote unquote, mm -hmm. or your, uh, the people you admire. Because, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, there are some extreme examples like Woody Allen confirmed horrible person yeah but like anyone that you look at is probably gonna have some failure yeah they all not. have weaknesses yeah everyone's gonna have and weaknesses. you can learn from those too so yeah. it's important to recognize that they're not perfect people and to learn from their shortcomings and their strengths because yeah. that makes you a better person in general yeah. uh so anyway boycott harry potter <laughs> with me don't ever watch woody allen movie um all right, uh, we're getting the little... Is this the end of the show? This is the end of the show, Grayson. Yeah, it says 59 minutes on my yeah, recorder. Yeah, we're, we're getting close to that one hour mark. Yeah, um, which is pretty much perfect. Uh, do you have any closing remarks? Uh, I just want to say uh, thank you all 25 people who have been listening to the show. Um, again, it's like if, we, if one person gets value from this conversation, we've done our job. Uh, and I just want to make sure that you know that we admire and love you guys so much. Please connect with us in any way you possibly can. The best way is by going to anchor.fm slash learn hyphen in hyphen public. You can leave us audio messages there. You can, either, you can also support the show financially, which would be a huge help. Um, and a huge thank you, of course, to Tom Nook, who gave Sarah a beautiful loan on a new house uh, <laughs> while, while we were recording this episode. It was very helpful to everybody. He gave a, a bunch of bells, That's a right. discount on it. So. And thank you to Sarah for taking care of our dog. Yeah, so, and thank so you, Kata, for being a cute little boy. Yeah. Uh, All right, and it's your turn for a closeout this week. Bud. Oh, that's right. Um, okay, so Just my... Say literally any movie quote. <laughs> yeah, my closing remark uh, comes from a lovely book that I read uh, on minimalism. Uh, called Everything That Remains, uh, and the quote goes, love people and use things because the opposite never works. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. All, right, All right, goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Good job, Grayson. You did it. That was great. Boom. <laughs>